0: Welcome to the Future of Film podcast. My name is Alex Stoltz, and this is a show where we share insights and strategies from the pioneers, trailblazers and disruptors who are shaping the future of film. Today's guest is Kaya Jabbar, who is pre-production supervisor at Framestore. And as followers of this show and Future of Film will know, the pre is where a whole lot of the innovation is happening right now in film. Kaya is a multidisciplinary visualization supervisor with unique experience leading pre-vis, post viz tech-vis, over and virtual production for tentpole films and TV projects, including Game of Thrones, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, and Dumbo. Kaya is on a mission to develop real-time adoption and virtual production workflows with the aim of making visualization more efficient and interactive. In other words, she is right at the forefront of the virtual production revolution. And in this discussion, we explore how real-time engines are transforming the creative process, the role and potential of visualization in filmmaking as a whole, and why Kaya believes we are just at the start of a newly democratised Future of Film. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Epic Games and Unreal Engine. It's part of the Virtual Production Revolution series, and you can check out this and other videos and interviews in the series at futureoffilm.live. If you want to find out more about Future of Film, head on over to futureoffilm.live. Here you can check out all five seasons of the podcast and explore some of our other resources like the Future of Film Summit, the Future of Film Report, and Virtual Production Revolution. You can also sign up for updates and get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. So that just leaves me to say thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy this conversation on the future of visualisation in film with Kaya Jabbar. So, Kaya, welcome to the show. Nice to be here. Thanks so much for taking the time. So, tell me about your work. What is it you do, or how would you describe your job to someone? Um,
1: It's a a very interesting question. So, currently, I'm a pre-production supervisor at Rangeport. And the reason it's a pre-production and not a pre-vis or a virtual production is because the idea is that I work in all areas of that pre-production process, whether it's visualization supervision or onset supervision or virtual production supervision. And what we really do is we help at the script stage and just beyond the script stage, big or small movies Visualize what they're planning, um, what they're planning to shoot, and then executing some of that work um, on set. If it's a more complicated um, digital composite, the idea is being that usually a any kind of creative storytelling has a big enough team that people will have different understandings of what um, a sentence means. So a sentence in a script can be visualized in multiple ways, and where we come in is just really workshopping through that and being able to iterate on that idea until we arrive at a consensus, in a way, in a creative consensus between this entire team. Um, and I guess after the power of what we do is because the content is digital, that can then be translated to uh, onset work. So as soon as that visualization has been created, whether it's environment work or character work or camera work, you can take that on set and you can inform inform the shooting process. Or um, you can also generate motion control um, scenarios so that you can really, really dive into the more complicated camera moves that you've designed in your previous. That's kind of what I do broadly.
0: So in this process um, where you're you're trying to reach, like you say, creative consensus, (laughs) uh, which is a great phrase. I love that. You're, you're, you're breaking down the script and visualizing parts of it or all of it?
1: So um, I think it kind of depends, but fundamentally we receive, we receive a script or sometimes even just concept art and an idea. And we work with all the heads of departments, so whether it's um, direction or product design, uh, production design or cinematography, and we look at it together and they use us as a way, as, as kind of a tool to come up with the movie before the movie's even shot. So they will say, okay, so this is a pitch for um, this kind of IP. We're thinking this type of characters and it really helps sell the flavor of what you're going for, like the mood, the genre, all of that. So we will build the assets, we will come up with the animation, we will up with the cinematography working with the cinematographer occasionally we would even shoot motion capture in order to speed up the process because i've had instances where the volume of work you see you don't really want to spend too much money at, at this stage but you want to get as much volume as you can and you want to look at as much of the movie as you can so we uh, recently at Framestore, you know we, we, we can use our motion capture system to feed you know, animation in, speed that up. We can also use virtual camera to really quickly go in there and just roughly, it's it's a briefing tool in a way. Like for me, previous has always been a briefing tool, the way to show somebody what that sentence means to you. Um, what is, you know, woman that walks down the, you know, the alleyway, like, is it a dark alleyway? Just all of that, um, all of those really small questions start getting answered. Um, as soon as you start visually presenting something, and I think that's um, that's what we do. We just start we start showing you the ideas, and in reality, sometimes you start showing the bad ideas right? Like it, and it helps a team completely focus on what it is they're trying to do um, and kind of row in the same direction.
0: yeah, moving in the same direction as a creative team is is really you important.
1: Heard in <laughs> It is like herding kittens sometimes.
0: And and are you using real-time tools for this process?
1: Yes. Um, I think more and more we're using. I personally, I think even as a supervisor, really enjoy using real-time tools because it means that even when, especially when the pandemic hits, suddenly you found yourself separate from your team. And because of my background in animation, I like acting things out or showing things physically to people. And you suddenly can't do this because you're separate from from them in, in, you know, like on a screen. So by using real time tools, you can still, you know, connect with somebody and show them something in a digital space that emulates the feeling of doing it for real. And it, it, it just, it's, it's a, you know, rather than explaining, "Oh, I want a tracking shot, you know, left to right character, you know there's so many little finessing things that you can't really explain in words, like why are you framing this in the medium? and And just being able to lay down a super rough first pass for something is invaluable, because suddenly the other person that you're trying to brief knows exactly from which, you know, where is your line? Which side of the line are you on? Like, what kind of mood are you going for with the lighting? And, and it's just this really, really fast, valuable process where you can broad strokes. It's like digital sketching. You're just sketching out what the sequence is, and then you can turn it over to the artists and they can make it beautiful or they can make it more exciting. But you know, that sketching part is always the hardest thing in, in in CG to do, right? Like it doesn't look like anything until it looks like anything. It's only with these real-time tools, you're, you can sketch um, really quickly.
0: Quick question: Is there a a storyboard as well in this instance, or do you are you re- kind of replacing the
1: need for a storyboard? I don't think you ever really replace the need for a storyboard because I think before the assets are created, it's incredibly easy to draw something down. Like even if it's a napkin, and I've had you know I've worked with directors who. Just like drawing on their iPad, and it, it it looks like little smiley faces, but that's your storyboard. Like it's anything is anything that you you've you've drawn. And I think different um, different directors work also differently. Like live action directors prefer to sometimes give you a shot list, and there is no storyboard. And I think that be, that becomes incredibly ambiguous. At least in the past, it would be very ambiguous because a shot list you don't know. But for those kinds of um, creatives, suddenly VR tools and, you know, interactive sessions are very valuable because even even if they don't engage with storyboard, they can engage with the physical objects that are there. And the fact that they can give instant feedback and see that change, I think creates a more, you know, some more welcoming process for people because you're not typing down an email and like, sending it to somebody who has to reinterpret your notes and then give it to another person. Suddenly you're, you know, it's like a live action set. You're there, you've given a note, the note is executed. You can immediately see your decision because I think it's very hard to ask of someone to know what they want before they see it. And I think that's where a lot of friction and a a lot of you know inefficiencies happen is because you're asking this person to brief you perfectly on something that they have in their head before they've seen the constraints that you're working with. and that's where miscommunications happen. and, and whereas if you're together and you can both of you can see that that wall is in the way. So you're not being difficult. You physically can't put the rig there. like, okay, great, then we can come up with other solutions. And it's just that troubleshooting creative troubleshooting that um, that I think is better than a storyboard because you are constrained and a storyboard is not constrained. You want, I think creativity is best in, in a constrained environment. That's when you come up with the solutions.
0: How accessible is this process to, uh, to, to to a wider range of filmmakers? Is it still just being used on the big blockbusters, for example, or is it being more widely used?
1: I personally think it's more accessible now, mainly because the content can be generated faster. And I think that step of getting artists together to make stuff with, with stuff like, um, you know, mega scans where they're trying to scan the world. And you have all these assets that you can start playing with immediately. Um, that means that there is a lot of, it's the overhead is lower at the beginning. You don't, you don't need to come to you know a, a virtual production studio and say oh i need you to make me all these things and then i will film them you can start oh we kind of need something like a deserty thing or something just eh, in the mood." this is the mood and then you can very quickly workshop even if it's not the final thing and if people understand that it's not your final asset it's not your final environments um you can very quickly get into this creative flow of like okay yeah i know it's not that rock but this is a rock like it and wanted this big, and suddenly you're iterating, and you just remove that kind of crazy overhead that you have in just making these things, you know, like make, making you know digital humans or making a, making making these environments. And you're freer. You're like, yes, a smaller indie developer can say, I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna workshop my ideas, and I'm gonna just figure out, okay, and I can download this app, and if I have my iPad connected to this thing, I can suddenly get a feel for what I'm thinking. And I think there is a limit, unfortunately, and it's a, it's a physical. It's the kind of limit that um, physical filmmaking also hits. Like if, if you're if you don't have a crane, you can't pull off this shot, and if you don't have a thing, you can't pull off the shot. There's a, a budgeting um, limit there, but in terms of ideas and creativity, that's easier. Um, so you know the kind of shots you can create at handheld, but if you can use your imagination. And, Okay, if you can sell this initial thing and then get the funding for the bigger tools or the more, um, you know, the kind of work that John Favreau did online, where he brought in actual crew with actual equipment that costs a lot of money to get these beautiful camera ropes. It just, it's it's suddenly more within reach. You, you know, it's it's not this thing that hundreds of artists need to work on in a big facility.
0: That's very cool. And now you sort of moving moving forward, I suppose, in the process, you, you, you reach creative consensus. Uh ideally, I'm sure it's not always as perfect as that, but you, you get to a point where there's an agreement about the, the the previs, the the look of the the story, I suppose. Do you then continue on that process? Are you then sort of refining that so it can be much more like t- technical aspects of the shoot.
1: Um, yes, I think so. The beauty of and the difficulty of good previs is that you're trying to sell something that looks quite rough. So you really need to be able to distill the fundamentals of cinematography and silhouette and styling, so that you can so that you can actually stop once there is creative consensus and focus on the second part, as you're saying, which is the technical visualization of okay, we know we're super happy with this, but how do we do it? And then there is a step where every single shop is broken down into its component parts. Um, we work with production design and onset supervision. And we figure out like on a more complicated movie, you figure out what is real and what isn't. And therefore, which elements you need to shoot in order to make these little puzzle pieces into a cohesive picture at the end. And it, a lot of the work on Game of Thrones for me was in the realm of motion control and supervising the motion control stage, because we knew that we had all these super complicated integrations between humans and giants and dragons, and Liana and the giants as well it was a huge undertaking. And once you know what you want to get at, You can get all the smart people together and figure out exactly how to do it and you can say okay you know the first ac is going to rig up something for us here and we can use motion capture to capture that place and then we can bring it back in do another pass post this on it for example so that the liana process was really interesting because not only did we have to scale up a giant but then we have to film the actress being held by this giant so you're adding these layers of, of you know of complexity and you have to shoot one plate on so we shot a plate on set of just the background and the the real things then we shot a plate on a motion control uh, on a techno dolly for just the giant and then we captured him holding a doll which i then took and translated to yet another stage for full-scale liana to be picked up by this motion that happened on a person in a in diff- and it's just these little as soon as you know what you 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 know what you want in the end, it becomes so much exponentially easier to plan it out and to say, and to communicate to these, because it was all different crews also capturing these different elements. But because you have a tech business and you knew exactly what it would look like in the end, they could contribute. They could go, oh, great. Okay. So I know exactly what that, you know, I know why I shouldn't do this, or I know why I should contribute, you know, like I should add a bit of more snow here. And it, it just becomes so much easier to coordinate a horde of people and creatives and technical crew to execute a simple, you know, a theoretically singular vision. It's, it's an insane amount of work. And so, yes, so that's the step that kind of comes after that is how do we accomplish this? What are the elements? How complex does it need to be? Because as well, if you know what you're looking for, you can find ways to make it cheaper. You say, okay, right, you know, like this doesn't need to be a motion control crane. This can just be a lock off and then a post move. And it all works out because you've, you know, you've prototyped it. So a lot of stuff we do is we would prototype, we would almost film the real thing, film the digital thing and pretend it's real. So we, you know, split out the elements, we recomp them together, the previous back on the previous just to show, okay, yeah, we can absolutely execute this. Um, if you give us, just give us these pieces and we can come up with um, with a solution for you. So I, I enjoy that step a lot as well because I find that if you execute that step really well and you inform the crew of of, of, of what you want, then the creative is much more solid at the end as well because you get exactly what, you're asking for there are no there are no compromises there. You can't say, "Oh, I didn't quite know that you wanted this to be a 60 foot tracking so uh, It's kind of like a 50 foot one. Now. Oh, now it has to be a bit slower, and you start compromising. I think when you don't have all the information, whereas when you do, you're like, "Yep, absolutely, I know what I'm doing."
0: Yeah, it makes complete sense. um Was that something that was used on Game of Thrones a lot? That process?
1: Um, yeah, absolutely. We had. Um, I think on the final season the motion control stage we, we ran it for months like the amount of elements we shot and it was having the visualization team embedded into that and i think that we we involved even finals vendors because we wanted the animation of the dragons for example or any animation to be final before it was shot and i think in a way it was clawing that idea that is much more prevalent now that. The post process is not something that happens at the end. If you pull it forward, especially when you have these elements that, you know, like creatures or locations that interact with your actors, it's much better to do that ahead of time so that everybody knows what they need to do to make it as realistic as possible, rather than tacking it on at the end and just trying to patch it. Um, so yeah, we, we it was, it was a massive undertaking on the final season
0: to to get everything. I'm sure. I'm sure it was. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so I, I guess we're, I mean we're talking about virtual production here, but this is a a broader definition, I suppose, that some people would have of virtual production um, because it might just involve in-camera visual effects. Yeah, I would say we're talking about virtual production. Is this would you would you describe this as virtual production? And is this um, or, or, or how how do you define that term?
1: Um I have a much less narrow view of it. I think because I was involved in many things before in camera visual effects um became the latest, you know, biggest innovation. Um to me, virtual production was the moment a digital decision or asset. Have to step foot on set that became virtual production so for me you know motion control that is a digital camera that you have to make talk to a physical human crane with a physical crew that is affected by those decisions so that's a virtual production piece of kit there like that motion control crane becomes this um on beauty and the beast when we We did a lot of simulcam work, which we also did more more of uh, on Thrones. But that was a digital environment that gets rendered directly into the eyepiece of an operator and directly onto a Q-Take so that you can see your final composite. In a rough state, of course, you know, back then we were using Motion Builder, and it was all kind of grayscale, but it was still a tool of informing. And again, that's a digital asset that has to step over into the real world and a crew that needs to have a foot in both you know you need to know how the, you know how a camera crew works because you need to ingratiate yourself with them but you also need to know how digital assets work and how to make that animation read and it's 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 that you you're kind of as a at least as a virtual production supervisor from my view you are that in between person that my responsibility is to know enough about the shooting process to make it work as seamlessly as possible because what i really struggle with and I'm not a fan of is that idea that the moment you bring the geeks on set everything's Mm going to get slower you know like the you you know your first idea is always like oh motion control why can we not do it and I think it's 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 a pity because it's a super powerful workflow and you know we've demonstrated it's very powerful workflow it just needs that that gel in between so for me virtual production is that that role in the middle that that team that helps both sides understand what each other needs and makes it feel seamless, makes it feel like one team um, working together.
0: I'm going to ask you a uh, difficult question now. Which side do you prefer working on? Are you are you more comfortable working on the you know the digital creative creation side, or or do you prefer working on set?
1: I think it's difficult. Um, I'm, you know, I, I, I trained in drama and my mom's an opera singer. So I grew up in theater and I, uh, she was a single parent. So she would drag me. Every time she performed, I was backstage. Um, so I'm, I'm used to being around that kind of creative energy and that like, it's now or never. Like this is, it's, it's showtime. Um, so I think that kind of training really prepared me for this role as well. Because then, I, you know, I became an animator and, you know, like you're crafting these performances and they're purely digital performance. But I think the magic of movie making is just, it's just something else. Like it's, it, it's that unapologetically collaborative process where you cannot, you know, like a lot of visual effects, artists prefer to be introverted and say, you know, like you're creating your art and your art is you and you're intrinsically connected to it. But I really enjoy the chaos in a way—the controlled chaos of the set, where you cannot be by yourself. Like there's no—it's—it's it's humanity in a microcosm. You know, like everybody's collaborating, and you have to wait for these things, and things are the way they are because they have to. It—it's—it's it's much harder. I find I find that uh, being on set is a much more intense process because the timing and the kind of communication and the speed at which you need to be operating your mind needs to be firing at is extremely quick um but it's also really rewarding like when you pull off something that people say oh it's not going to work This this really rewarding feeling where you're like yes you know all the skills you know all these different industries should be collaborating closer you can solve some of the problems and you can teach us some of you know like your techniques like you know the kind of stuff you can learn from a cinematographer on set is invaluable and if you can bring that back into the finals process and teach teach it in that way and teach it as a more emotionally invested thing, right? Like it's, it's not just a shot. Like why are you doing this? And I, that's kind of what I, because I'm, you know, doing also the creative one in, in visualization shows. That's what I try to teach my artists. Forget the mechanics of your animation. Like why are you showing me this shot in this framing? And that's the kind of stuff that you can only really learn when you connect with the subject on the other side of the camera. like Really thinking purely about the storytelling and everything supports that. So yeah, I think the uncomfortable in between. I love it.
0: Um, and you've been been on set more recently perhaps because I know you've been working with uh, some uh, LED volumes and or an LED volume and in-camera effects. How's that process? been for you um doing doing a shoot such as that i'm not sure if you you can talk about the name of the show or anything but how's, how's the process been
1: um i haven't actually so because of the shows that i was booked on i didn't have direct involvement involvement with the led shoots that okay. have taken taken place um what i did however do is we did um, some testing in a frame store basement at the time just to figure out you know, the process of it. And I found it, you know, fascinating. Um, I have a computing, a bit of a computing background as well. And I think at the time it was just I met Mandalorian had come out and I was more used to the very manual way of doing it. Like you plug in end display and you have your render nodes and you're hoping one of them doesn't fall over. Um, and it's just been fascinating to see how quickly that thing. Came polished, like just getting all that concentrated attention on it you know epic have done an amazing job of just iterating and iterating and, and making it easier and easier and within a year or year and a half like that process just became so much more accessible from you know me scratching my head in the basement and ah, display okay like writing manually like typing things in notepad and trying to get your ip addresses correct to this like almost plug and play solution i think it's it was was a lot of fun. We did some really goofy tests. And it was really joyous to see it work. Yes. You know, this is definitely the next step. Um, The next step of it.
0: And do you think it's a good solution for um, lots of projects or, or is it? Or do you see it only being used in more specialized circumstances?
1: depends. Um, I believe that LEDs and just the kind of work that people do for interactive lighting is invaluable for many projects. So even if you don't go as far as committing to your final pixel being on the screen, which brings quite a lot of different challenges with it, just the idea that you can like subjects better and get that integration introduced to worlds better is already a massive plus for a lot of productions. I think when it comes to final pixel in camera, um, it really has to be something that will contribute to the way you want to tell your story. And I think the use of the technology in a way has to be a part of the initial um, understanding of the subject. The, you know, The way The Mandalorian did it is they designed it because they're like, well, our character is reflective. He's wearing a helmet all the time. Like, how are we going to solve this massive issue? You don't want grease still all over your thing. Mean, so they, they turn to the technology as a way to solve a very real problem of the storytelling. And I think that's when it's the most powerful, when you know you need it. Not when it's the cool toy that you might use, but not everybody's quite comfortable. It's, it's when you know that it's inter- integral to your cinematography. I think that's when it's extremely powerful. When you know that this is what's going to make the difference for my actors, this was going to make the difference for the lensing of this sequence. I think that's when it's um, powerful because you have to do so many, I think it becomes, unfortunately, it becomes quite a lot of work because you're pulling all these resources for finals. And, you know, I've been on set, so you, you you don't really want to worry about that hey, we're going to shoot it today and to worry about what happens to it later. There is no later now. So suddenly you're confronted with all those decisions up front and you can you can reach a little bit of decision take because oh, I, all I wanted to worry about right now was my you know my actors and my my selling but suddenly I have to worry about the color of that rock in the background of that other rock that why can't I just fix it afterwards when I've decided you know so you're bringing all these decisions and you are creating a little bit of creative overhead as well, like, because you have suddenly you have to think about all these things. Um, so, yes, I think that's when it survives the best is when it's part of the initial um, design.
0: Yeah, yeah, having to make those decisions then and there is quite quite an added challenge.
1: Um, yeah, I think it can be a bit daunting making those those decisions, and I think for directors as well, there is a certain added level of difficulty when you're working on a movie that has such a high visual effects component. Because when you do your recce on a movie that you don't have to worry about the backgrounds, you just go and you like the locations and you don't have to really think about the color of the bolt that is holding, you know, the the, the light switch. They're like, what well, kind of it's just there. It's part of the, it's already been designed. It's right there. Whereas if you're working on temperature effects thing, you have to make those micro decisions, it suddenly becomes overwhelming, like, I've never thought about the color of the, the bolt on the light switch, and suddenly people really care about them, like, oh, well, you have to tell us, I don't care, but you can't say that, right, you can't say that you don't care, because it's, it's, it's part, like, it's yours, it suddenly is your responsibility to play a bit of God as well, to be, to create these things, Um, so, yeah, I think it can be overwhelming
0: yeah it goes back to something you were saying earlier about um having some more constraints uh can be helpful and then when you literally i well, no, i'm not sure literally no constraints but uh, so so it's so free you could change the color of the sky or you know anything it's
1: it's golden hour every hour which yeah is, uh, no it's good I, no. it's good but it is isn't it I, I don't know. Um I find it overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you start a visualization showing that like, the sentence can be interpreted in so many, you just you and I think people we, we need somebody to give us a constraint of some sort. Because and you're saying it's it's not true there are constraints, but sometimes there aren't. Like you can you can have any shape, any color, any size, any texture of any it's it's insane. Um so yeah, it's, it's definitely I I understand why it's it's a difficult jump to make for certain people you know, productions. It, 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 you're, at a, you're asking so much of people at that point.
0: Hmm. Where do you see these tools going? So we so the LED stage being you know one component, one uh, a very useful part of the whole process, but how do you see this evolving over the next five years, say?
1: Well, I think um, I, keep, I keep talking about this idea of like a, a smart stage. Because if you can accept that you know, everything's motion captured, because you have an LED screen in there, so you have to capture camera, you can create so many more efficiencies in. Because, so th- this is this is difficult. I think because our hunger for content is so big, right? Like we've all been locked away and you need to make more movies, more content, more TV shows, more everything. Um, I really would love visual effects to become more accessible to all that content. And I think a way to do it is if you introduce, you know, crews get used to the idea of a motion capture system, tracking their camera, and then they get used to the idea of an LED stress. Then you get used to the idea of, you know the the brain bar and have visual effects people working away there. I think what would be incredibly powerful is to set up, you know, these smart stages that are part of that process. So you're always capturing the camera, trying to eliminate as much of tracking as you can because it's happening live on set at the time. It's part of the slating process, and all of this. You know, like Ari is trying to develop their lenses so that you can read the data from them, and suddenly you're all of these post processes can be brought even closer, you know, closer to pre so that that overhead becomes much smaller. And I think that's kind of the motion control cranes that are part of the system. I think if you can lighter scan the stage perfectly, what we did on Thrones was because we had a flying camera in a way by, by us lightering the stage and making sure that we have coordinated a digital space, one-to-one with a physical space. We could fly that camera anywhere and we could control it, almost puppeteer it from a digital, you know, from a Maya scene, we could just drive it. So I think that's where we're going. I would love to be able to plug in different devices into a production stage that's, you know, like, oh, you want your motion control today. Well, lucky for you, this is a smart state, right? Like we know exactly what it is, we know where every boat is, we know exactly what it looks like. So suddenly the motion control process, process becomes easier. Or, you know, you want to suddenly track extra plates, well, that's fine, because as part of your, you know, like every, you know, every single take that we did already has that data in it. So you turn it over as a pre-tracked thing. You just have to do the visual effects integration. And I think, yeah, just more exposure to this post-process and pre-production, I think, is gonna just help us introduce more and more of those geeky tools um, to just make everything cheaper make it faster, make it cheaper. And by make, by doing that, I think it will become automatically more accessible. And it's not the scary process for indie developer. Oh, now we have to do visual effects.
0: Uh, it's really exciting. I, and so this would be, in a way, would be, the, the smart stage would be, it's always on collecting that data and running those processes. So there's information coming back, which then... Through, yeah, I guess through algorithms, and so on, can can make that. <laughs> I'm reaching here of my technical uh, expertise, and so it can it can make make the life much easier for the creatives at, at the outset because you have, yeah,
1: the, absolutely. Um, because you know you have a script supervisor, and the script supervisor is an, an integral part of of the, the crew. But if you have a digital script supervisor, and this is very far-reaching like what do I think some sort of AI or um yeah something in the background that is running that is collecting all the digital data that you require in order to make the digital part of this shoot easier suddenly you're removing so much and as you're saying like it will be plugged in but yes if it's available to your finals vendor immediately after you know at the end of the shoot you now there's turnover and you can just okay well I'm know, I can start tracking these plates, I can start, you know, doing anything because it's it's the boring step, right? Like these are such little boring things about our day to day that, you know, we add all this all this time. And it's because I've also done a bit of development, I think at one point, um, I was helping develop pipelines more efficiently. Then that's that's the most powerful thing. Is like, why are we still doing this physically ourselves? Like, why why can't we just relegate this to something else? And what that something else is, problem. Computer programs are fantastic at that, like automating these tasks. So I think it would be amazing to see stages where, by default, you're allowed to you know do LED. You know, it's much easier to do an LED shoot. It's much easier to do all of these things that you need to do. Um, for a successful visual effects
0: movie. Just to clarify, when well, you said you've done a bit of development, are you talking about scripts and story development? Uh,
1: no, um just pipeline development. So we were we were we were, um, we we're working on initially when we we're integrating Unreal, so just looking at how to make those worlds collide. Like because visual effects is a very linear, well established um, well established world with you know, the teams tend to be bigger and suddenly you're hitting um, a games workflow in a way where it's much more generalist focused and how how do you connect these two systems together so that both sides are equally happy. Um, so we're looking at that a little bit. And I think that's fundamentally the virtual production problem of working with a crew is how do you make these um, things easier for both both sides?
0: You're listening to the Future of Film podcast with me, Alex Stoltz, and I'm in conversation with Kaya Jabbar. If you are interested in virtual production and visualization, do check out the Virtual Production Revolution series available now at futureoffilm.live. Kaya, how do you think we can get more diverse um, participants in, in in this space? um more women for example it's a very male-dominated area it seemed at the moment. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Um it's difficult because it's not just virtual production that is male dominated, right? Like it's it's a technical role problem. It's this idea that it's a techie space. Um, and I guess I mean, I obviously struggled with that as well, Is when you start out as an artist, you know, and there's nobody that I can see that has the experiences that I have and it can feel a bit prohibitive, but with enough, I think with enough, enough of us working in it and, and demystifying exactly what it is, it doesn't, you know, like the skills that you have are valuable. You know, like there's a lot of multitasking that has to happen on, on the virtual production stage you need to be thinking about multiple things you know so everything that makes a person good at those things is valuable so every background and like a more meandering i think what's difficult sometimes people think oh this is my career and you're expected to be eighteen years old and to know ah i really want to do this but i find it in virtual production but what's really powerful is that you don't you, you if anything it's better that you've done more things it's better that you have more experiences you don't have to be there's a lot of people skills involved there's a lot of you know um, soft skills as well involved and personally I'll you know like, we'll just reach out to schools more because it's a it's a widespread problem problem that we're having I think it's in, in visual effects as well it's the lack of senior creative roles um and it just is time as well, a little bit of time giving giving it the time it needs to work late. But there's a lot of really good programming access VFX is a fantastic little initiative that I think we're involved in where we reach out directly to, um, to communities and students. We just need to do a little bit more, more of that. I think fundamentally our problem tends to be we are always so busy and so stressed that it, your altruism is the first thing that dies in that situation. Right? Like when you're so biased. But we just need to do better at that, and we need to. And I'm always happy, you know, for people to to reach out, and I talk to anyone who wants to talk to me on LinkedIn. And how do you get in here? And we just need to be a little bit better at that. It's just that you know. But you understand why? Why is everybody hides their head in the sand sometimes? Like, oh, I'm too busy to. To, to help. But it's a growth industry. So what we're actually finding now is that we don't have enough talent, we just don't. And even in, in visualization, when I joined, um, I remember, one of my lecturers told me not to do it, because it's just terrible, you know, like, oh, you shouldn't join Previs. it's where animation goes to die, or like, oh, it's just bad animation. And it's just this weird thing. And now I'm seeing it. No, it's, it's, it's it is storytelling. And we just don't have enough people who know enough about it to train. Like, how do you even train in it? And it's and it's on us in a way to put out more information about how to train in it and to what we are looking for, and to reach out to, to students almost immediately. and Say, hey, dear, we need we need you because we just we don't have enough people for the amount of work that is um, out there. And we definitely don't have enough virtual production people, but that's because it's new and it's and it's hard. Um, so yes, to reach out
0: more. Yeah, each one teach one was uh, how it was put to to, to me by um, F E T Brown. But um, yeah, there's that's really helpful. You talk about animation. I know that's where your your background was. Are you excited by or exploring the possibilities of real time animation?
1: You um you mean in in terms of
0: well, you, I know you're doing about all the time, obviously in the previous context. So maybe that question I meant more as a, a finished product. Is that something which yeah, yeah well, you're looking to explore, or you think it's got potential?
1: Um, yeah, I think absolutely it has potential. I think you, we shouldn't discount. You know, animation is is is. Um, to me, is, is is an art form. It's not a genre. Like just because it's animation doesn't mean it has to be for kids, and it doesn't have to mean it has to look a certain way. Um, so, absolutely, if anything less than for film and final visual effects, I think real-time tools are invaluable for animation because you can workshop those ideas. Again, it's just about being able to have more, uh, a slightly more a better understanding of your final visual product sooner. Um, and I think for animation in particular, it's it's, it's wonderful. I think it's, it's a little bit limiting in a way because of... and Epic are doing a, a lot of work on that, but some game engines are for games. And I used to work in games and animation is not at the forefront of a game, not until recently. Um, I remember when I started, I worked at Sony, and the animation was just, just uh, something on top that you're adding, like, you know, a bit of cinematics, a bit of this. So, game engines are hard to animate in because they were never asked. It was not something that was asked of them before. And I think that for me is the biggest hurdle right now. And I know Control Rig is coming out, and there's more advancements being made in that, is doing real time animation and truly staying in one piece of software. I think that's where it's at. Next is better tools for camera animation, better tools for body mechanics, better tools so that you don't actually have to go to Maya. Because we find ourselves a lot of times like, oh, if you want to animate this really beautifully and nicely, yes, go back to Maya. You have all your tricks and you can design. You know, like you can cheat your your betweens And I think that's a little bit of a hurdle right now. Even though in terms of production it's faster, I think the actual physically animating the piece of software is still not there yet. So I think that's a hurdle that we need to overcome for it to become a truly, you know, there's always that step where you export. There's always that step where you're just, you know, you're shuttling things back and forth. Um, So yeah, the actual animation. Controversial, maybe. I don't know, maybe people, some people love animating uh, in games, engines, but personally, Find
0: it a bit yeah. difficult. Yeah, I think it's um evolving. Um and yeah, it's getting, you know, they're getting they're getting to have more uh I guess uh aesthetic styles which can be used. Um so it's not you know it doesn't necessarily have that sort of game look.
1: Um, yeah it's, and it's and a lot of companies are doing great work. Like and I know Blue Zoo did shorts in it that looks very much not what you would expect. Um, and I think it's just a matter of time, right? Like, you give us the tools, and artists will find a way to make it look the way they want. Um, we just need to give, give the industry enough time to explore that and to really embrace it. And I think they will. Um, I think the barrier of entry is so low that you'd be a fool not to try doing a fully animated movie why not it's suddenly not this super expensive endeavor with hundreds of people it's just that that's to me the biggest gift that this real time thing has given us is just in a way a monetary gift like suddenly a person on their laptop by themselves with a motion capture suit can create this world and that's really powerful.
0: Uh, it's it's amazing um and i guess yeah you know very very exciting what, what are you most excited about moving forward kaya
1: I most, uh, i'm excited about the amount of i'm hoping to get more stories out there i want to see more things uh i i'm a huge science fiction fan and i think you know, science fiction, opera fan, psycho-opera fan. And I think in a way, like as genres, the fantasy, the science fictions, they, they need a little bit of, you know, visual effects and because they're trying to depict more um, you know, more impossible things. And I think this would allow those projects to be made in a way because it's suddenly cheaper to make them. You know, like you, you can have a more outlandish concept for a TV show that requires... You know the use of these these tools, and suddenly it's cheaper to to do that. So those stories can actually uh, make it out there. Because I'm a big fan of you know indie productions, and you know there's the blockbuster film will always be blockbuster film, but I think where the magic really lies is those smaller um, smaller things. Like feed us. <laughs> the the pandemic has left us quite barren. You know, like we've almost finished the internet, to be honest. We've watched everything. <laughs> We need some uh, new stuff, and this is a a great way to do it.
0: Yeah, yeah, blockbuster production values with indie storytelling. I mean, that's that's a very exciting proposition, isn't it? Yeah, I think
1: that's I think that's amazing. I personally think that would be brilliant. Yeah, Um, something really exciting to see.
0: So thank you again for listening to this episode of Future of Film podcast, which is from the Virtual Production Revolution series presented in partnership with Epic Games and Unreal Engine. For more Virtual Production Revolution episodes and materials, head on over to futureoffilm.live.